We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Week 8 Expert Roundtable, a.k.a. the Square Table. And as always, we use the term expert very loosely. As always, I am joined by the sharpest hippie in DFS. He is currently joining us from a confessional booth live in the Vatican, as you can tell by his background. JM, what's going on? Yeah, I'm actually right outside of Yellowstone. Contrary to what Adam thinks, they do have internet and electricity here in Wyoming. Uh Looks like video is a little slow, but audio is good. So we'll hang in there and talk talk some football. Um, what are you doing in Yellowstone? You doing some some hiking? Uh, are you uh, base we're, uh, jumping? We're hunting grizzlies. We're gonna take down some pelts. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, so I won't eat the meat, but I'll ship it to you, and I'll I'll wear the grizzly pelt to the next live event. Are you watching the games from Yellowstone on Sunday? I will be. Yeah, there's a. Uh, there's television here too. It's crazy. It's a crazy world. Really? Yeah. What what game what game do you guys get out there? <laughs> uh, I believe all of them. Actually, no. I'll be in uh, Salt Lake City on Sunday, so I'll catch the games there. Uh, big town, Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, enough nonsense. This is a um, tight slate, I think, because there's only nine games on it. And I've already gotten like a bazillion questions about the weather. And as people get more and more afraid of the weather, the concentration of ownership will get sucked up even tighter to within those nine games on the DK main slate, they'll get sucked up even tighter to uh, games that have reasonable weather. So we are looking at um, kind of a, a, an odd slate in that there could really only end up being like seven games in play if you're willing to throw out weather games. And I really am rarely willing to throw out weather games, but the way that they're talking now with like torrential downpour and 20 mile an hour wind. Um, that would be something that would catch my eye. But for now, I think we should talk about the slate uh, without the weather. So do you agree with that? And, and, uh, and what do you think overall of the slate? Yeah. I mean, I said to someone yesterday, I went to bed on, uh, on Saturday night and it was a hundred percent chance of heavy rain on Sunday morning uh, in Portland. 
I woke up Sunday morning as a 0% chance until like noon. I mean, things change in weather. So I'm not going to worry about that till Saturday night. I agree. Let's talk about who we like uh, just in terms of the matchups and then worry about weather at that point. I think a lot of times people get really caught up in that early in the week and then that narrative ends up sticking. So uh, definitely worth paying attention to up until Sunday morning and being willing to pivot and knowing who you like if the weather clears up. Yeah, uh, a question I get all the time is at what point do you change your lineup because of weather? And I always think that, um, first of all, like just because it's raining, I'm not going to get off a guy. If it's an absolute like Noah's Ark downpour, that's a different story. And if it's rain with wind uh, in excess, sustained wind in excess of 15 miles an hour up to 20 miles an hour, that would be scary. But like gusts of wind to 25 miles an hour, like whatever, a gust is a gust. That doesn't bother me. Some light rain, we've seen guys have big games uh in regular rain lately uh for you what at what point do you consider uh, getting off a guy because of weather yeah sustained wind is is the big thing for me it's typically going to be 15 miles an hour and even that's not a given i'm going to look at a team's uh, average intended air yards i'm going to look at the way they prefer to attack if a team is throwing a lot of short passes or it's a quarterback with a strong arm even that's not going to bother me that much um there's probably been three or four times in the last couple of years where I've had a monster DFS weekend just because I didn't move off of a player that everyone liked and a large chunk of the field moved off of on Sunday morning. And it's just because people freak out a little too quickly about weather. I think that you remember that game as three or four years ago where this is a Steelers game that finished something like three, nothing. And they're just playing in heavy wind, rain, mud to where, you know, people were saying they shouldn't have even played the game. You can't gauge anything. That's the kind of game where, things change. Um, wind is going to knock things down a little bit, not so much that I'm going to completely fade something in tournaments, but the weather has to be really bad before I'm just completely off the game. Um, cash games, heavy winds, sustained winds north of 15 miles an hour, especially if we get up to 20 is where I start worrying about things. All right. Uh, at the quarterback position, uh, given the context of the slate and how little value, how little quality plays there are, how few quality plays there are, below 5k I think this week even more than most weeks people will be looking to pay down at quarterback on DraftKings and the guy who everybody is talking about the guy at home facing the one of the league's worst pass defenses that will be playing without Malik Hooker that will be playing without Rashawn Melvin giving up the most uh, pass plays of 20 plus yards um, this season they have faced just atrocious quarterbacks all season or mostly bad quarterbacks all season and are still uh, giving up the six most fantasy points to quarterbacks. So uh, I think everybody is on Andy Dalton. Um, I would be hard-pressed to call Andy Dalton anything but a solid play. I think that it's maybe closer than people think between Tyrod and Dalton, but I think I still prefer Dalton. Um, you strike me as a guy that, man, I want to play Andy Dalton, so, so go ahead. I strike you correctly. I, I'll be perfectly fine if I end up with Dalton. Um, I have a hard time. We're, we're talking about how tight pricing is. And, you know, you said, you know, wisely before the show, how far the $900 from Dalton to Cam Newton goes. At the same time, like I want the best plays. And something like Cam Newton against Tampa Bay, who's 32nd in adjusted sack rate, 32nd in sacks. When we look at what cam has done this season his bad games i mean uh, the bears rank seventh in adjusted sack rate and obviously have a good defense that takes away deep passing like that's exactly the type of defense that cam would struggle against 
the Buccaneers, I believe they're bottom three in, in yards per pass attempt. Um, I mean, everything lines up for Cam to have a huge game and that this is a team that can't get pressure on him, can't stop the pass. And while they are a zone defense, we're still looking at Cam running the ball for 40, 45, 50 yards. So it's like Dalton, I'm targeting him for 20 points. I know he put up 29 against Cleveland, but there's a couple guys on this slate that I feel have a really clear path to 30 points. It's, it's Cam and AJ Green. And uh, obviously it's tough to fit those guys. So what I said to Simon, our producer before the show is, is if Cam and AJ Green top 30 points, I think the best roster construction ends up being taking a couple iffy value plays and I'll touch on some guys. There are plenty of guys that can get 10 to 15 pretty safely um, and allow you to fit those guys. If, if Cam and AJ Green post 20 to 25, then you're behind the field because everybody else is going to go middle of the road. And I think that's a big decision this week in cash games. Um, most people would say, just go with ownership. I'm not one who does that. I want to take what I feel is the best roster construction. So I might go lighter in cash games this week, which is uh, painful for you to hear. I know Adam, because um, only losers don't play heavy cash game volume, but <laughs> Um, I just can't bring myself to take what I feel are suboptimal plays in some of these spots. I, I think uh, Dalton is a good play. I think Tyrod Taylor is a good play. We're, we're expecting basically the same thing as last week, which again is about 20 points. Uh, I believe he's topped 28 passing attempts twice this year. He hasn't topped 27, 270 yards this year. So, you know, there's some questions there, but he's going to get you your 20 points. Dalton will probably get you your 20 points. So the question for me is, does Cam hit 30 to 35 for a few hundred more? Uh, if he does, that's who I want. Um, so in cash games, I'm fine with any of those three plays. I'd love to find a way to fit um, Cam. And I think everything after that is is tournaments for mm -hmm. me. Uh, is there anybody else other than those three that you'd be interested in in cash? Um, maybe, but let me, let me just say quickly on Cam. I absolutely love Cam. He was in my article today. I totally agree with you. I mean, they're going to be without Brent Grimes and Robert McLean, two of their starting cornerbacks. Brent Grimes, their number one cornerback. Um, Cam has seen his rushing attempts rise sharply over the last month. Seems like he's finally not worried about his shoulder. Um, he's up around eight carries per game over the last month, which is where he was back in 2015, where he was just setting the league on fire. So yeah, I, I have, uh, no problem whatsoever on Cam. It's just I'm so trained to pay down at quarterback, and especially when a guy's in as good a spot as the Red Rocket Andy Dalton is. Um, I wanted to play Cam in tournaments, but the more I, you know, I, I hear people talk, the more I think that Cam is going to be pretty highly owned in tournaments. A lot of people are going to be like, I'm not playing Andy Dalton in tournaments. I'm going to play Cam. He has so much more upside. Um, so I'm, all, I'm not really not too worried about, you know, QB ownership in tournaments, but it's just something to be aware of that, like, playing cam is in some sneaky play in tournaments um as for other plays in cash uh i think you can make a case for russell wilson but as we talked about here before um russell wilson's range of outcomes is reasonably wide i do think this houston defense at this point is a bit overrated um no jj watt no whitney merciless we know they lost aj boy over the offseason um so they might get uh, Kevin Johnson back, but it would be his first game of the season. So I think they have a little less talent than maybe uh, is perceived. And I think Russ, as a kind of guy who gets hot and stays hot, uh, if you believe that narrative, was certainly hot last week against the Giants. So Russ would be the only one. And, yeah, the rest of the other guys, I just think, like, um, Dak and Wentz and maybe Jameis and guys like that would all be 
GPP plays for me. Yeah, so I want to stand on Russ for a moment because I am I seem to be alone on this. I'm not, and I used Russ in cash last week. I used him on my my team in the 1500. I'm not an anti-Russ guy. Um, so I think the Houston defense is better than people think. I think with Romeo Cornell and Mike Rabel having two weeks to prepare, that that also lowers the upside. And I, we have this tendency in DFS to cherry pick the stats that we want to look at. Um, so, for example, everyone's talking about this line getting jumping three and a half points as soon as it came out. What about the fact that the uh, Seahawks, the amount by which the Seahawks were favored, dropped by a half a point? So the line jumping was actually even more about the Sharps thinking the Texans are going to put up points than the Seahawks. And nobody's talking about the Seahawks. I've read every article I've read. Uh, I mean, no one's talking about the Texans. Every article I've read has written off the Texans offense. Um, when I wrote up my game by game breakdown, I, I, you know, the line surprised me. And rather than just writing it off, I tried to dig in and find anything to like. Um, I would not go to Russ in cash. I understand the appeal as far as like this total jump, but there's just so many better plays in tournaments, obviously fine, but I think he's going to get pretty high ownership. A lot of people are talking about him. A lot of people are asking me about him. I just think that there are better places to go than Russ. I mean, we can talk about the losses on the the Texans, but a lot of what they've done this year has been, um, you know, minus the JJ Watt loss. A lot of what they've done this year has been with, with, all the rest of these guys gone. Um, and one last stat to throw out there, because we'll get to wide receivers. I'm sure you like Doug Baldwin, uh, if you like Russ, but the Texans have allowed the fewest targets to wide receivers and the third fewest receptions to wide receivers. So again, it's easy to talk about talent, but we also have to think about scheme. And that's an important part of things here. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my take on on Russ. And then I like all the guys you mentioned. There's There's so many quarterbacks to like this week in tournaments. You can make a case for for Brady. I think he's overpriced for the matchup, but you can make a case for Brady, for Dak, for Carson Wentz, for Cousins, for Derek Carr even. I mean, the Raiders are going to throw the ball this week. The Bills are showing serious pass funnel tendencies. The Raiders are minus Marshawn Lynch. Uh, Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington really didn't do much last year in terms of carrying the load. So I think Carr's in play in tournaments. Um, Sean Watson, if we want to talk about the Vegas line jumping and nobody looking at the Texans. I don't expect them to have a good game, but if you want to side with Vegas, sure, you could get 25 to 30 points at low ownership. So I think there's a lot of places to go uh, at quarterback and tourneys, but Cam and Dalton and Tyrod are, are the top plays for me, for sure. The uh, weather here in Philadelphia is forecasted to be pretty bad on Sunday. I think you will see greatly reduced ownership on Carson Wentz. What do you think about that as a GPP play? Like we get, you know, Kevin Roth comes out and says that it's going to be 15 to 20 mile an hour winds and uh, and it's going to be raining throughout the game. And you might be able to get Carson Wentz at like 3% in this amazing matchup against the 49ers. Does that interest you? Yeah, it does. Uh, it's this kind of wrestling match for me of we've talked about this in recent weeks of how much I like opportunity. And I'm a little scared to rely heavily on efficiency. Um Wentz hasn't topped 31 pass attempts since week two. Um, And at that point, the Eagles were top three in passing play percentage after coming into the year saying, we want to run the ball more. We want to take, you know, this offense off of Wentz's shoulders. Ever since then, they're bottom 10 in the NFL in passing play percentage on the season. Um, 
So he's not going to throw more than 31 times in a, in a blowout, but he has top three touchdowns in three consecutive games or hit three touchdowns, in three consecutive games. He's running six to eight times per game. Um, I don't think he's as good of a play as cam just in terms of the overall opportunity. And, you know, it's like his price, it's like Nelson Aguilar, his price has risen on extraordinary efficiency. It's tough to bet on that, but the matchup is tremendous. Like I, if, at 3%, I wouldn't argue against it because he could easily post the top score in the slate. Um, but I wouldn't be going out of my way on like a main team yeah. or a high dollar team still. Agreed. Uh, last guy I want to throw at you we didn't talk about is Jameis Winston, who continues to put up uh, numbers despite the team playing pretty poorly. This isn't like an amazing matchup. I would call it just uh, an okay matchup. Uh, how does Jameis strike you in a home game in the division against the Panthers? Yeah, I think I have Jameis. I'd have to look. I think I have him ranked as my fourth or fifth point per dollar quarterback. And the thinking is really the game flow. Just I really expect Cam to smash in this spot and if cam smashes the again the panthers are a pass funnel defense and Jameis is going to be throwing and um so i expect him to come back on the other side i, I like Jameis a lot yeah and Jameis is 6100 right like he's right there with dalton and tyrod i think you'll see reduced ownership on Jameis uh because of that all right let's move to running back it is a uh, hairy below the 5k mark uh options i guess include DeAndre Washington, who I can really only project for maybe 10 to 12 touches. Options include Joe Mixon at 4,700, who uh, should be in this amazing spot, except he came out and complained about his role, and Marvin Lewis didn't seem to like that too much. Uh, and the other two options below 5K, I think, are the Jets running backs, who will certainly be sharing time, but the Falcons gave up the most running back receptions to uh, most receptions to running backs last season and are on pace to give up about the same number this year. So anybody under 5K strike you as someone you're at least uh, okay with at running? Yeah, okay with James White is, uh, I think that the Patriots are going to try to slow down this game like they did last week, try to keep Phillip Rivers off the field and the Chargers are way easier to run on than pass. So I think we see Deion Lewis get another 12 to 15 carries, but James White is going to get his targets. We've seen it every week. Uh, he's 4,900. Forte, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, he hasn't scored a touchdown all year, and he's pretty consistently topping 10 DraftKings points. Uh, if we think the Atlanta offense gets back on track, obviously this is weather dependent, but if the Atlanta offense gets back on track, the Jets are going to have to throw, and that means targets to Forte and Powell. And um, in tournaments, Lamar Miller, because of, again, the he's splitting time with Foreman, but if this Vegas total is jumping for the Texans and everyone's just looking at the Seahawks, uh, Lamar Miller is the kind of guy who could put together a good game. Mixon, I'd love to play him. Um, he's probably the closest guy for me in cash. But, uh, again, yeah, there's so much that's iffy with the workload. He's sitting right at about 50% of the snaps. Um, and Indianapolis is actually tough to run on. So on the one hand, they're, they're 10 point favorites and there should be a lot of clock killing work. On the other hand, we could see Hill get the work and we could see the work be somewhat ineffective. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about Mixon, but that'll lower ownership in tournaments, I would think, um, unless everyone's just willing to go there because there's so little value. 
Uh, can we just say for a second that Marvin Lewis is a total clown? He was like, uh, I like uh, Jeremy Hill to start each half so that Joe Mixon gets to, uh, you know, sit on the sidelines and kind of soak in the game for a little bit before he gets in there. I mean, what kind of illogical ass backwards thinking is that? Get your best player in the game. It's not like you have some elite team. Jeremy Hill has been atrocious for three seasons. I mean, if you want to say Joe Mixon is not good enough yet, uh, fine. You don't trust him in pass protection yet. Uh, fine, but don't say you want him to sit on the sideline and watch. I mean, am I insane? Uh, isn't is Marvin Lewis the longest tenured coach, or is he second longest tenured behind only Belichick? It's, it's got ridiculous. Be, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Uh, let's move into the mid range here. I think the most popular play in the mid range will probably be Alvin Kamara. Um, I think Alvin Kamara is pretty safe for his similar workload to what he saw. Uh, last week with upside for more in the case of the get behind. Of course, they're unlikely to get behind against this Mitchell Trubisky-led uh, Bears team. So I think Kamara at 5,900 isn't uh, a standout play by any means. But if you think maybe he gets clock-killing work ahead of Ingram, uh, if the game's a blowout, maybe that's a play you could make. And then Carlos Hyde would be somewhat of a contrarian play in a bad matchup at the Eagles, but certainly looks like he has the workload back under control. And, and a guy that I like, and I assume you like too if you like the Panthers, is Christian McCaffrey, who was on pace to catch 100 balls. Um, and if he really hasn't had a play from scrimmage this year over 37 yards, it's like just waiting for a big play. He hasn't had a run over 11 yards. Uh, if he somehow can find a way to break one, like he would just smash. So we know he's going to catch six or balls, six or more balls. There's just upside uh, for a lot more on Christian McCaffrey at 6,200. Yeah, I like that you brought up Hyde because the Eagles, one of the ways to beat them is throwing to the running back. Um, the Eagles have faced the fewest rushing attempts in the NFL and the most pass attempts in the NFL. Uh, on top of that, they're generally good against the tight end. So we're looking at targets going to the running back and the wide receivers. So I think there's a lot to like in that. Uh, obviously, that's a tough play in cash. I think Kamara, I, I think the floor is sitting there at about 12, 13 points. I think the ceiling is well, not the ceiling and the ceilings, you know, 25 plus as he's shown, but I, I'll be very surprised this week if he tops that 13 to 15 point range. So uh, I'd be fine having him. I'd also be fine fading him if he's high owned because I'd love to chase more upside. So the interesting thing here, and I, uh, I think it's important in looking at this game, the bears rank, I've said before, right? John Fox doesn't care about winning. He cares about keeping the game close and hoping something breaks his way at the end. But if he falls behind, he cares about losing by a respectable amount. Um, so backing up that sentiment, the Bears rank 29th in pace when they're down by seven or more points. So even when they're down, they run the ball and let the clock bleed dry. So against the Saints defense, that's sixth in DVOA against the pass and or six, yeah, sixth against the pass and 29th against the run. I mean, the Bears should be able to move the ball. Jordan Howard is going to run the ball. Um, I don't know how strong of a play he is because effectiveness is going to be an issue. He doesn't catch many passes. But just as in terms of it, I expect the Saints to have six to eight fewer plays than normal, mm -hmm. um, which does make a difference. So with that, with the Saints likely to have a lead, with some plays taken away, I don't think Kamara is as much of a locked-in play at 5,900. There are wide receivers in that price range I would much rather have um, and I'd rather spend up than for one of these other running backs or spend down for somebody like, like white or Forte and say, okay, I can get 10 to 15 points here and then free up some salary elsewhere. 
Um, okay, while we're on that Saints game, then we need to talk about Mark Ingram because I think he will be extremely popular. I think he is pretty strong despite the salary uh, increase, mainly because he's such a good pass catcher and uh, we've seen him soak up a lot of goal line usage. So uh, I understand you think the game's going to be a little bit slower or you think Mark Ingram has gotten too expensive at 7400 No, I mean, if we take away if we take away from Kamara's workload, we're taking away maybe two catches and a carry. Uh, if we take away from Ingram's workload, we're taking away two or three carries, which matters a lot less for our expectations for him. Uh, he's got four passes in every game this year. He's going to top 20 carries no matter what. The Saints are the Saints have become, I mean, they've had a lead every week, but they've become a really run-heavy team, like to a greater extent than a lot of people realize. And so I think that we can still lock in Ingram for 20-plus carries and four catches and goal line work. Uh, I'm totally fine with, with Ingram. Uh, depending on weather, I'm totally fine with Devontae Freeman as well. Uh, it's a great way to attack the Jets on the ground. And Freeman tends to go overlooked because he splits time with Tevin Coleman, but he's really not splitting time. So I think in tournaments, uh, Freeman's a nice pivot as well off of, of Ingram. I prefer Ingram in cash. I think he has a higher projection, but Freeman's a nice little pivot in that price range. Uh, on Christian McCaffrey, you're obviously fine playing Cam and McCaffrey together in tournament teams correct yeah yeah i like i like mccaffrey and if you look at his workload expectations he has uh let's see i wrote it down earlier in the week i think it was he has three games of eight or more targets and kamara has one game so the upside for those looks seems to be there to a greater extent for mccaffrey um a few fewer carries locked in for him and less effectiveness on the ground but um, in PPR scoring, I like McCaffrey just as much as Kamara. And in tournaments, I'd be fine going McCaffrey if he's going to be lower owned. All right, let's get to the question I think a lot of people are going to face this week. It is LaShawn McCoy versus Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I am in the camp that I would rather take the player at home catching the West Coast team coming east for the 1 p.m. start. LaShawn McCoy is absolutely smashed as a home favorite. Since he's joined the Bills, um, 80% consistency rate, 7.74 more DK points per game uh, above salary-based expectation, just totally destroying in this role. Um, I know there's some risk of Mike Tolbert vulturing a touchdown, but I do think we have a three-down plus goal line back here. And, um, you know, like the Raiders have one good defensive player. Like I'm not worried about throwing against them, about running against them uh, whatsoever. So I just think it's a better overall spot for LaShawn McCoy, and we save 500. Um, then going to Ezekiel Elliott at Washington for this rivalry division game that the Redskins will certainly uh, be up for. So I, I think that might be a contrarian take. I'm not sure. Uh, considering what Zeke did last week, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to uh, get back on that train if they missed out. And if they rode him to a victory, they're going to want to ride him again. So uh, where do you stand on Zeke versus LaShawn McCoy if you can only play one? Uh, I'll probably text you tomorrow to get a take on some either or because last week it was – Zeke and Bell, and you said Definitely very not. sharply that Bell was a better play. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was on Zeke all week and then switched off to Bell. So that's back-to-back right. weeks. Uh, on, on this specific one, the, honestly, Bell was a much better play uh, based on workload and expectations. Uh, I would have made the less sharp play and benefited more greatly with mm -hmm. Zeke. Um, if Zeke had put up 20 points last week, would he be like – the guy that everyone wants to get on. Right. This he had week. a 72 yard screen pass, go for a touchdown. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I, I think LaShawn McCoy is a better play. Both teams have a, a decently 
difficult run matchup. The Raiders rank 13th in DVOA. It's uh, not as difficult as like something you're gonna, not, not something you're gonna avoid for the matchup, but it's not just a smash spot in terms of the matchup. But what is the big thing for me is the targets without Charles Clay, LaShawn McCoy is locked into seven plus targets. It seems that Jordan Matthews is kind of decoy status right now, um, unless he gets the splint off of his thumb before Sunday. I mean, I don't know if you heard anything on that. I haven't, but I mean, this has been all year. Even before he had the thumb issue, he was averaging like three targets a game. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I mean, at that time, Clay was on the field. I, I yeah. can't imagine them going to Zay Jones nine times if, if Jordan Matthews is capable of catching the ball um, consistently. But yeah, so LaShawn McCoy is going to get seven targets. We're talking point per reception scoring. He catches most of these passes. You're locking in five catches and probably more. Um, so yeah, I love LaShawn McCoy. I prefer, maybe this is a hot take, I prefer A.J. Green at wide receiver for 100 less over LaShawn McCoy at that same price. I'm not certain that there are any wide receiver values that are better than the running back values. Uh, I'm not certain there are any. 4k wide receivers that I feel as comfortable getting 10 to 15 points as Forte and James White so I may end up and maybe that's part of the reason I'll go heavier in tournaments because I may feel that Forte and AJ Green or White and AJ Green is better than um, one of these cheap wide receivers and LaShawn McCoy um, and that's something I'll have to work through but but no I love McCoy uh, comparing prices between those two is is an interesting conversation any thoughts on Jordan and the worst one of the worst rush offenses in the NFL against the Patriots? Uh, yeah, Melvin Gordon's price has gotten um, out of control, which like makes me so sick about not playing him when he was 6K against the Giants. Like that was just a mistake for all mistakes. Um, yeah, Melvin Gordon is on the injury report with a foot issue. He had a quote today saying that uh, he's not 100%, but he's got to play through it. Um, we've seen Austin Eckler play really well. Uh, lately in spurts uh it's really not a place I want to pay 8100 for Melvin Gordon is I know that the Patriots have struggled defensively doesn't mean they're going to struggle defensively all year so no uh, Melvin Gordon is not somebody I'm really interested in what about you no I mean I've been on the fence I've kind of I kind of want to be interested in him you know what I'm saying like nobody's going to be on him this is a guy who can't well, I mean, we've seen it over and over again he can explode for over 30 points heavily involved in the past game gets all the goal line work so I want to be on him. I don't like the play. I actually expect the Patriots defense to play fairly well this week. And I expect the Patriots to run the ball heavily on their side of the ball. So I don't actually like Melvin Gordon, but I want to, and I want some sharp people to be like, no, yeah, this is a great tournament play that nobody's on. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with him. All right. Anybody else off the board at running back? Uh, no, I think we covered it all. All right. The wider. Let's find out where this, uh, where this value is at wide receiver. <laughs> Oh, well, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, if we look below 5K at wide receiver, we have Mohamed Sanu, who I think you can pretty comfortably say is going to get six, seven, eight targets against the Jets. They will not be uh, high value targets because Mohamed Sanu um, is not an explosive player. He's not a yak player. Um, they're just not great uh, targets. So 4,900, it's not great. It's just okay. Then you have this Josh Doxson situation where he's going to start at the X position, but I can't give him a target projection of more than five because there's so many players that have to eat on the Redskins. And really the primary pass catchers are Vernon Davis, are Chris Thompson, 
uh, are Jordan Reed. And then we're also going to see Crowder and Grant play. And as we saw in the second half last week, Terrell Pryor might end up playing as well. So Josh Doxson to me uh, is scary in cash at 3,900. And I think he'll be over-owned in tournaments too. So, you know, he could certainly have a big game. He's like a ridiculously talented guy um, who's starting uh, in an okay spot, I guess, against the Cowboys. But uh, it's scary for me. The, the other guy, I guess, you could make a case for perhaps in the cheap range is Brandon LaFell, who uh, I have been down this path and been burned once before, but it's certainly an awesome matchup uh, against the Colts. And yes, John Ross will be back. But as we already talked about with Marvin Lewis, he does not like to play rookies. So uh, I think Brandon LaFell's role is intact if you liked him before the John Ross news. I think you still like him. Um, other two guys that maybe are for tournaments, Robbie Anderson and Marquise Goodwin. Um, wish Marquise Goodwin was out and we could play Aldrick, but it's not looking that way. But really, it's not a good spot for Goodwin either, especially if the weather's bad. You have weak-armed C.J. Beathard, and you have a fierce pass rush of the Eagles, uh, which won't let Goodwin get downfield. So it's certainly not pretty under uh, 5K. Did any of those guys I mentioned uh, strike your fancy? No, I think you said almost exactly what I would say on all these guys. Uh, I would add that Marquise Goodwin does have – six targets inside the 10 yard line this year he has zero catches so uh there's a chance that shanahan starts moving away from scheming him the ball um there's also a chance that we keep seeing that type of usage he has about a 50 percent catch rate on the year so i think that basically you know when we break things down we expect the eagles to let's say the weather's good we expect the eagles to jump up to a big lead we expect the 49ers to throw heavily because they already do. And the Eagles have faced the fewest rush attempts and the most pass attempts in the NFL. Um, Marquise Goodwin saw eight targets last week. That's about where I would peg him this week. With all that said, you know, his history of the season gives us four catches on those and probably not a touchdown. So I like him in tournaments. The one guy that I think, well, I, I, I'll give you, two guys that I'll throw on the board in tournaments and that's Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett and talk about having to endure like high efficiency games. Like these guys are week in and week out posting 10 plus points on four targets, five targets, but the efficiency is usually there for Russ. If you like Russ, I think that you got to feel comfortable with these guys in tournaments. Um, the other guy that no one's going to be on. And I was surprised in, this week and writing up each game jumped out to me was Ted Ginn Jr. who uh, I was looking at you know all the numbers and saw this 81.5% catch rate and I said in my article okay when a guy has an 81.5% catch rate the team is going to start trying to get him the ball and after I said that I started looking at you know his charts from recent weeks he had three targets behind the line of scrimmage last week and two others within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage which speaks to the fact that this team is trying to get him the ball. So it's a scary play because you're relying on the fact that this is going to keep taking on a Bears team that um, I believe is sixth in yards allowed per pass attempt. I mean, they, they stopped the deep ball, but these three passes behind the line of scrimmage speaks to the, the Saints basically saying, look, Ginn is great with the ball in his hands and we want to get the ball into his hands. So I think that you can actually make a case for Ginn in cash games, I think I would prefer James White. I would prefer Matt Forte if we're going to have to pay down at one of these spots. But Ginn is certainly a guy in tournaments with monster upside at um, five to seven targets and playable in cash game, which is you're going to end up with him at like 3%, which is scary in cash games. But I, I actually think he's a 
solid enough play. Yeah, I'm not sure I can give Ted Ginn five to seven targets. Most of his games this year, he's played like 40% of the snaps and gotten somewhere between like three and five targets. So uh, I know he had a little bit of a spike last week. I'm a little bit hesitant to chase that off the big game. But yeah, I, the way he's being used is ridiculous. His A dot is like 81st in the league, which is like so rare uh, for him, as you mentioned. So it's at least something to consider. Um, in the 5K range, uh, I think Deshaun Jackson might end up being popular because um he is a name player he's a player who has shown a pretty decent floor this year since he's joined the bucks he's gotten red zone uh targets since he's joined the bucks which is something he hasn't really gotten before we'll likely see james bradbury on um mike evans which would leave deshaun jackson with the weaker matchup against james worley uh did you come across deshaun jackson what do you think about him yeah jackson has six targets in every six or more in every game this year he's top five in air yards this season. I think that there's a, a lot to like in Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you said a few weeks ago, one of these one of these weeks, I believe it was against the Cardinals, that Deshaun Jackson is basically the guy that you would show to somebody if you're explaining DFS and saying, this is the guy you don't play in cash games. With how little value there is and with how, like, let's put it like this, as far as cheap guys, right? But really value is somebody who's underpriced. The most underpriced players on this slate are um, probably Deshaun Jackson and the Panthers wide receivers. So is Deshaun Jackson a genuine cash game play? No, but I think that this is a week where you say that, yeah, Deshaun Jackson actually is viable in cash. And uh, I like him a lot in tourneys. I don't think the ownership will get what North of 15%. Will it? Yeah. I have somewhere between 13 and 16% right now, I believe. Yeah. I mean, it would, I think it would have to take getting up North of 20 for me to consider getting off of him for the uh, ownership aspect, probably up to about 25, just because I think he's that underpriced um, that, and it's kind of this weird thing. Like let's take $200 off his price tag. If he's 4,900, if he drops below 5k, then everyone's talking about him, but we kind of have these thresholds. We look at him 5k for running back and wide receivers is mark that we consider value. Um, and so with Deshaun right above that mark, I think that lowers his ownership a little bit. Uh, anybody else in the 5K range? Because I'm really not seeing a lot in the 5K range. I see a little bit more in the 6K range that I like, but anything else in 5K? I mean, Funches has eight targets in what, every game this year or all but one game this year. Uh, mm -hmm. He's basically being used like Muhammad Sanu. It's a lot of shorter targets. Um, he has several red zone targets and that's basically the only time they're going deep to him. They're actually going, like if they get inside the 20, they're comfortable throwing to him 20 plus yards downfield into the end zone. But outside of that, they're not using him as a downfield threat. He has some downfield ability to his game. I think at 5,900, he's still a strong play. You got to look at him as a possession receiver, as opposed to an explosive downfield threat because the way they're using him. But I do think that, that like I, I'm not locking in Funches, but I would not argue against Funches. Uh, your Yellowstone internet is freezing out a little bit, but I I still got you. You're still you're still with us, uh, you mountain man. Um, all right, I think there's a lot to talk about in this kind of 6K, 7K uh, range. If if the weather holds up, Pierre Garcon against Jalen Mills and Rasul Douglas, and from in terms of like a target projection compared to price standpoint, Pierre Garcon is going to be one of the best plays uh, that you can find. I think Calvin Benjamin at 6,400 uh, has this amazing matchup against the defense that's given up the most fantasy points per game 
to wide receivers. Um, Alshon Jeffrey has an amazing matchup against San Francisco. He's had a lot of really tough wide receiver corner matchups so far. This feels like a spot he could break out, weather permitting, uh, obviously. And then we have Michael Crabtree. And then we have the guy that uh, I want to be fading this week, and that's Amari Cooper. Um, uh, you know, we see Amari Cooper's range of outcomes get so, so, so wide. He's only had uh, three games out of his last 17 above 20 DK points, but everybody's going to want to play him after last week with EJ Gaines out uh, for the Bills. So I think when Amari Cooper's ownership gets high, uh, he makes for a pretty good fade. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to chew on in 6K. And I even mentioned Doug Baldwin, who uh, I know you're skeptical of, but I think Doug Baldwin does have the best matchup uh, of all the C- Seattle wideouts in the slot. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Definitely has the best matchup. He's likeliest to succeed out of these guys. Um, Garcon outside of last week, and then which was kind of an outlier, and then Seattle and Patrick Peterson. Every game other than those, he's had double-digit targets. So I feel great using him if the weather holds. Um, and Kelvin Benjamin, I, I love. I think that the Patriots wide receivers even are interesting just because this matchup against uh, a Chargers defense that has been good against the pass, but not really that great against wide receivers. Hogan and Cooks, their prices have come down because of the perceived matchup. Um, the Chargers' whole defense is basically predicated upon clogging up the middle of the field, forcing targets outside. So efficiency gets lower, but the chance for splash plays is still there. So Hogan and Cooks are great plays in tournaments this week. I want to get your take on Keenan Allen because he's a guy I just love to play because he's likely to get double-digit targets anytime he's out there. We know how much the Patriots have struggled, and I think slot corner is somewhere uh, where you can exploit them as well. Uh, I wish Keenan Allen was a little bit cheaper considering his game log. Is he too expensive at 7300 That's my thought is basically the price. Uh, you can't argue it's a matchup, but once you get there, um, the targets are so great. Right. But once you get in that price range, you're looking at eleven hundred more for Julio. Um, I mean, you're looking at six hundred more for for Mike Evans, looking at eleven hundred more for Julio, thirteen hundred more for AJ Green. And so you're looking at Keenan, who's got this fifteen to twenty three point range, I'd say. And then you're looking at these other guys who have like the fifteen to thirty five point range. So I, I know pricing's tight, but I would really have a hard time justifying the whole thing, like the cheaper wide receivers who have a range to Keenan and then how much like higher the upside is on these other guys that I, I like Keenan as a play in a vacuum, but just when we factor in everything on this slate, he's not a guy I'm gravitating toward. All right. A question a lot of people are going to ask themselves, AJ Green is going to be 30 plus percent owned in tournaments. Um, at least, uh, do you have to have AJ Green on your roster this week? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. That's like what I was saying earlier. If he puts up 30 points, you're willing to take those 12 to 15 points from Matt Forte to make it happen. If he puts up 20 to 25 points, that's still a great game. But with how tight pricing is, you probably have a better roster with a more middle of the road approach. And I think it's 50 50. I mean, it's hard to hit 30 points in the NFL. And we expect the Bengals to absolutely smash the Colts. So if you're talking 30% ownership and he's got to really hit like close to 30 points, at least to really justify it with how tight pricing is probably the sharper play is just stay away and hope he lands, you know, 22 points. 
Uh, I'm still going to have a hard time doing that because I do think he's the best play on the slate. Um, Michael Thomas is someone who concerns me from a target share perspective, was on injury report with a knee issue, um, but he is at home where Drew Brees averages five more DK points per game. Uh, Vic Fangio's kind of tendency to limit number one receivers would also concern me somewhat here, but I think the biggest concern for me with, with Michael Thomas is Mike Evans is only 300 more, and I think I pretty firmly prefer Mike Evans to Michael Thomas. Do you agree there? hundred uh, percent. Once we get into, I guess hundred percent strong Evans and Thomas are kind of the same player. They have no run after catchability or very little run after catchability. A lot of red zone work, a lot of targets, but the target share is, is just more reliably high for Evans. So it's close, but I'm still hundred percent Evans over Thomas as an Evans is a guy I'm playing around with. And Thomas is a guy who's just not really catching my eye right now. All right, I'm going to throw one off the board. The people love when I go off the board, JM, so I'm going to go way off the board here. This is a guy whose price has dropped $2,000 in the last two weeks. This is a guy who complained uh, last week. This is a guy who should be playing from behind. It is T.Y. Hilton, who often fails when he's not at home. Uh, he has an awful matchup against Cincinnati, but that is why he's 5,600, and that, that is why he'll be like 3% owned. So I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, my fear when I wrote up my breakdown was that Hilton's going to be 20% owned. No. And if you miss out, you're you're just – I mean, that price and that name jumps out. No. And it was like, man, if he's 20% owned and he posts a big game, then you're just frustrated all day Sunday. No, he will not be anywhere near 20%. Look I'm at his all, game Yeah. Lock. Hey, you're the ownership guy. I mean, I'm trusting you. If he's under 5%. Yes. If he's under 5%, I, I'm trying to think like a lot – lately of okay let's take price out of the equation do i still want this guy the answer is no even if we factor in low ownership but uh like anyone can make a case that i like i would say yeah that's fine that's a fine case to make 5600 but like like you brought up on the grass against a uh, tough defense um jacoby Brissett's going to be under pressure from geno atkins and this this cincinnati front I won't be there on a main team, on a high-dollar team. Probably won't be there on, on cheaper teams either. Uh, we didn't mention Julio. I'm actually going to go for Julio Fade uh, in this spot. Um, I know that he kind of got off the schneid a little bit, but I still think that Steve Sarkeesian remains overwhelmed and doesn't really know how to use uh, Julio. I'm not afraid of Mo Claiborne, but I think Mo Claiborne is at least uh, somewhat capable. And, and, I mean, in this range, I'd rather play Mike Evans. I'd rather play uh aj green um you know i know julio is a, is a threat to just go ham at any time but uh it scares me on the road in a game that could potentially have bad weather off of a good game uh with somewhat elevated ownership yeah i've seen articles this week that mention that julio has five red zone targets on the year and it's like yeah because he had four last week right. um another way to put that is he has two games this year with a red zone target right Julio, though, is the kind of play – so I, I prefer A.J. Green. Julio is the kind of play that if the weather's bad and everyone's off of him because of that, he's the guy that you still play in tournaments, I think. Like, he's the guy who still has 35-point upside. And let's say A.J. Green – let's say the, the Bengals score a couple touchdowns early, a defensive touchdown, a mix-in touchdown, take their foot off the gas, and Green ends up with 17 points – Julio could get you 35 even in bad weather. So I don't think he's a better play than Evans or A.J. Green. But 
uh, from game theory and especially if the weather's bad, that is a place that I could go in tournaments and feel good about. Uh, but I'm with you on the, the actual like matchup and the play itself. Yeah. Okay. Let's move to tight end here. Cause I think two best position tight, in the NFL Two tight end roster construction is certainly in play. I didn't end up going with it uh, last week. I didn't feel like it was necessary last week, but this week it, it really could be. Um, there are four tight ends in the high 4k range that I think people are going to want to play and, and have to decipher between. So why don't we start there with Jimmy Graham, Jordan Reed, Hunter Henry, and Austin Safarian Jenkins. I think Jordan Reed will be the most popular one considering what he did last week. And, and I think anytime Jordan Reed is healthy and he's 4,700, like he can't be bad, right? Like it's probably a pretty solid play. I will say that I think uh, Jordan Reed makes for an interesting tournament fade. We've seen one tight end sets with Vernon Davis. We've seen two tight end sets with Niles Paul and Vernon Davis. And we've seen Jordan Reed just kind of get lost in this swath that is uh, all the Redskins pass catchers. So um, I think Jordan Reed makes for a, a somewhat interesting GPP fade, but he would probably be my favorite uh, for cash. Where do you fall on these kind of high 4K tight ends? If we had uh, talked three years ago about uh, a spot where you would be the one talking about why Jordan Reed is a, a worthwhile GPP fade, I would have I would have moved to Yellowstone and never <laughs> talked to anyone again. <laughs> Uh, so what's interesting is the Cowboys have, have had really good numbers against the tight end this year, but, um, they haven't played much of anyone and they're 31st in DVOA. So, uh, yeah, with the game occurring on Monday night and the price staying down as a result, I, I still think Reed's underpriced. You make some good points and there are other guys to like, um, the Falcons, I'll, I'll touch on that one with Safari Jenkins. Let's say the weather holds off. The Falcons have been really good against the tight end this year um, and, and bad against other positions. So I don't think that that is as good of a play as these other guys. Hunter Henry's obviously in a smash spot against the Patriots, even if they run the ball to slow down the clock. I just think that the targets are going to Keenan and Hunter Henry and Melvin Gordon. So I'm fine with, with Henry. I think Reed's the best play, um, which I guess you're alluding to by saying cash games, that's where you go. I think Reed's the best play, um, and then probably Henry and then Jimmy Graham after that. Would you agree on that? Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to play Hunter Henry as much as I can over the last four weeks. I think the, we've kind of gotten caught up by the price, and the public is kind of caught up, and his ownership percentage is rising. But, I mean, dude is just a baller, and now he's playing 80-plus percent of the snaps uh, every week. So, yeah, I mean, Hunter Henry to me is is an awesome play, like, uh, Jimmy Graham, imagine Jimmy Graham, like caught those two balls that he dropped last week. He would have been mass. He would have had a huge line and he would have been massively owned this week. So from that perspective, I think Jimmy Graham. Uh, is, I would have had a lot more money in my uh, DraftKings account. Yeah. So it would have smashed in tournaments in addition to cash games. Yeah. So I don't think that Jimmy Graham was any type of bad play. I think he'll probably go under own because uh, his box score didn't look that great last week. And because Reed and Henry and ASJ are priced, uh, the same there. Um, uh, I have a name for you. Go ahead. Uh, Jason Witten. I'm throwing him in with those guys. And if we look at his targets, they've spiked against these teams that are good against wide receivers and bad against the tight end. Um, he saw, what was it? Nine targets against the Giants, 13 targets against the Broncos. Um, that's exactly what the Redskins are. They are one of the toughest teams in the NFL against the wide receiver. I believe the third fewest wide receiver receptions allowed. 
uh, near the bottom of the league in wide receiver targets, Josh Norman's back. So while this offense, hi, Jerry, uh, while this offense always flows through Dez and Zeke, I think that this is a week where we see Witten's targets spike up to seven plus. He's seen as many as 13 in the game this year. So I know dad runner, in yeah. a, you know, with, with unpredictable targets this year, but I think Witten's right there with some of these other guys this week. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. I just never play Jason Witten, uh, and, and that's fine by me. I'll, I'll live with it if he plays well. Um, let's go to the bottom because I, I think if people play two tight ends, it might be with one of these two guys. Tyler Croft subbing for Tyler Eifert has um, performed well on high efficiency. He's seeing like somewhere between four and seven targets per game, I think is a fair projection. And at 3K against the Colts, uh, Tyler Croft would be a guy who's been like, I agree with you. Like he's probably, you know, his ceiling is like 12 points, um, which sucks to play a guy, but he's also only 3K. And then Jack Doyle has seen a ton of targets. I know it's a bad matchup, but Jack Doyle has seen seven, eight, nine, as many as like 11 targets uh, recently. If you can get 11 targets for 3,500, it can't be that bad, right? No matter how bad the matchup is. Yeah, Doyle's been completely off my radar. Um, And that's probably a mistake. And he's a guy I need to look deeper into. So I won't chime in. On him, you make good points on that. The matchup immediately pushed me off of him because the Bengals have been nails against the tight end this year. Croft, uh, it's I, I like him more in tournaments because I think that these this red zone usage is giving him upside for spiked weeks. But, you know, Adam, how many times have you had like two points from your tight end in the past oh. that we're trying to – it's like 90%, 90% of the time I get two points from my tight end. So, I mean, there's so many tight ends that are seeing seven plus targets. I don't want to take the three or four target guy. I mean, I know he's so cheap, but um, he would have to do a lot to like, if he puts up five or six points in cash, you're killing your roster um, with those savings just to get up to one of these other guys. Uh, I mean, I would prefer Nick O'Leary over, Croft. Um, I know O'Leary saw only two targets last week, but I expect the Raiders to put up a fight. Um, and so I would, I would prefer him. I actually prefer Ryan Griffin as well. Uh, where do you throw against the Seahawks? The only place really is to the tight end. So I think that Nick or Ryan Griffin is a guy too to like in that range. Uh, and then Jared Cook in tournaments, he's seen the usage and Buffalo has been beatable with tight ends. Um, Cook doesn't really get the red zone usage that you want to see. And he's, price a little higher than I want him to be but he's in play um but yeah I mean uh, paying down that paying down to 3k or 3100 does free up a ton but I'm preferring Griffin in cash or O'Leary in cash over Croft all right um we better move to defense here we're running low on time uh we have been running uh absolutely pure um at defense it's been totally insane. Chargers last week was ridiculous. Bears last week was ridiculous. Saints the week before was absolutely absurd. We need to stay hot uh, at defense. I think a lot of people are going to pay down this week because these cheap defenses have played so well. And people are like, oh, you see, you can just play the minimum defense and, and smash. There's no reason to pay 3800 for the Eagles or 3600 for the Bengals or 3400 for the Saints. Um, I kind of may think that kind of makes getting up at defense in GPPs an interesting play out of these kind of higher priced ones. What do you like best out of Philly, New Orleans, Cincy? Yeah, we've talked about, we've also talked about these defenses that you can immediately lock in for seven points because, you know, you, you know, you're going to get one turnover and three or four sacks and one point from the points allowed, you know, worst case scenario. 
Um, and that's been last week, Rams, Chargers, Bears. They were all cheap defenses. And we felt like, all right, you're getting seven or eight points and hopefully you get more. Uh, the only teams I see like that are the Bengals and Eagles. I'm not even throwing the Saints in there just because I expect the Bears to be so run heavy. Uh, I love the Saints in tournaments because if Trubisky does start throwing, there's a lot of upside there. But uh, Bengals and Eagles are the, the two teams that you can really um, lean on. And I was thinking about the Eagles today. Think about that Matt Moore pick six, the second one last night to Jimmy Smith, and how it was zone coverage, and he didn't see it before the play. Then he didn't see it after the snap. And then Jimmy Smith is sitting there right behind Kenny Stills and he still throws the ball. And that's like these backups, these rookies, you're just not used to the speed of the NFL game. And, and so something like the Eagles against Beathard, there's so much upside for a pick six um, or even the Bengals against Brissett after we saw last week, how much he's holding the ball and, um, so I prefer those like I'm fine even paying up in cash if I can make it work because if I can get seven or eight points as opposed to two or three, I like that. Um, so that's where I'm at. Where are you at with these cheaper defenses? Cause I haven't found anything I like. Uh, yeah, there's one I like um, the Redskins have four starting offensive linemen missing practice and questionable. Actually uh, two have been ruled out and two are questionable after missing practice all week. Could also have weather. The Redskins are also one of the past heaviest teams in the league. Um, the Cowboys actually have a pretty good pass rush this year, seventh in PFF's pass rush grades. Um, so I think from that perspective, Dallas makes sense and might be uh, kind of popular considering how that 2,300, 2,400 range has hit so hard. Um, I don't completely hate the Jets, especially if we get weather in that game down to 2,200 um, against an offense that I think um frankly not that good uh right now so um yeah that that's about it at the bottom um i'm surprised you didn't come across dallas no i mean i like that thought um you're not i mean I, i'm less concerned the most about road defense you're fine with with taking this road defense in one of the highest total games the highest total game on the slate yeah well, a highest total means nothing okay, it's a, a quarterback a who pass. doesn't you know like, cousins doesn't make many mistakes either so are you being, are you joking? No, I mean, he's not a, like, he's not an interception machine. Like some of these other guys are going to be targeting. Oh, I understand. But that's why they're 2,300. And we know Cousins has it in him. I mean, I know not this year and maybe not much of last year, but he's had some huge blow up games. Maybe not, maybe not this year. Maybe not last year. Maybe my <laughs> kid wasn't born last time he had a mistake filled game. Uh, no, uh, like, I think it's, I think it's a good call. I think it's a good call. I don't think I hadn't thought about it. I don't think it's, um, something I'd feel comfortable with in cash. I'm saying that, you know, not taking into account how little value there is and how much of a right. difference those savings make. So maybe I end up going there. I really like that you brought up the weather too, because that can shift things with defense. If we do have one of these games that just looks really bad on Sunday morning, could get us some, some cheap defense play, uh, such as the Jets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bills home against the Raiders and Seattle, uh, only 3,200 home against Houston. I don't love either of them, but I think they're at least priced uh, uh, fairly. Um, if we expect a pass-heavy attack from the Raiders, that can only help the Bills generate some uh, defensive points. So I think that's at least interesting. Yeah, I mean, the price jumps out at first with the Seahawks in particular. 
but then what's 400 to get from them up to the Bengals? Um, then I think I would, I would find a way to get up to the Bengals there, but they're definitely a good play and definitely underpriced. All right. We are now going to give the people one conventional stack and one contrarian stack. Um, why don't you go ahead first with one of those? Uh, I'm going to go Cam and Kellen Benjamin as a conventional stack. I know that Dalton and uh, AJ Green is right up there with it. I think that the overall output from Cam to Kelvin ends up topping what Dalton and Green put up at a little bit less in salary. So I like that one a ton in tournaments this week. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, for a conventional stack, I will go with Tyrod Taylor to LaShawn McCoy. We've seen how that can pay off together. Really like the spot for the Bills. Um, really tough situation for Oakland. I know they've had 10 days to prepare, but still going into the Ralph is always going to be difficult, especially when you're uh, an East a West Coast team dealing with weather going to a 1 p.m. Eastern start. So uh, I think Tyrod's floor is so high in this space and so is so is LaShawn McCoy's, as we talked about, with his pass catching abilities. So uh, I think – I don't know how honed that will be, but uh, I would still consider it a conventional stack. Uh, I'm going to go with that same game. And even though the Bills run the ball a lot, which you think of as limiting opponent plays per game, the Bills are running the second-fastest-paced offense in the NFL. Uh, they're allowing the seventh-most opponent plays per game. So I think that the Raiders, in a pass-funnel spot – um, with a high play expectation. You can go Derek Carr to Michael Crabtree and bring it back with LaShawn McCoy. On the other side, I don't know that any of those will be super low-owned individually, obviously not McCoy, but I think that, that that entire roster construction as a whole is going to be uh, completely overlooked. I think that's a way to capture a lot of upside on the roster. All right. Uh, I'm somewhat surprised, but I think this is going to be contrarian. It's Jameis Winston to Mike Evans. Like that should really never be a contrarian stack. It just has so much upside with how much um, target share uh, Mike Evans has. And I think you can actually throw uh, Deshaun Jackson in there as well, considering how underpriced he is. And even if he only has, you know, 15 DraftKings points or whatever, you can still uh, have a chance to win tournaments if Jameis and Mike Evans goes off. So uh, I think that that's interesting. And if you think Cam is going to play really well, as JM does, and I certainly do uh, as well in this spot, then you would think that Jameis uh, will be trying to keep up and will have success keeping up um, in a potentially high-scoring game between the Bucks and the Panthers. I'd be curious to look back and see what we've said for these in the past. I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like we've done pretty well. I think, I think last week mine was just load up on the, uh, the Cowboys and 49ers game. So yeah. there's that. Like everything except for George Kittle Showergate worked out in that. Yeah, I should go back and, and rewatch the show and then actually play the stacks that we're talking about. <laughs> um, all right, that is going to do it for this week's quote-unquote expert square table, a.k.a. the round table uh, for JM, coming to us live from a cave with a grizzly bear. Uh, for Jerry, who... Uh, apparently needs to go to the bathroom. And for me, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody, this weekend.